Okay, folks, welcome back to yet another episode. Today, we're going to talk uh, undercarriage, specifically cat undercarriage. And to do that, I've got Tim Nen, Senior Market Professional uh, for Undercarriage with Caterpillar. Tim's been with Cat for uh, 33 years, so he brings a lot of experience and looks after pretty much uh, everything with tracks on it uh, around the world, specifically uh, the undercarriage side of that. So Tim and I are going to talk everything undercarriage and everything from what causes wear, what kind of undercarriage is out there for different sizes of machines, selecting the right undercarriage for the application, and uh, even jump into Cat's uh, new HDXL product line uh, for large track type tractors, which is a rather interesting um, development that spurred from a customer in the Powder River Basin. So without further ado, Tim, I want to say big welcome. Thank you again for being on the show. It's fantastic to sit down with uh, industry professionals like yourself and uh, uh, capture your your insight and capture your your knowledge about uh, uh, your product line uh, that you look after with Caterpillar. So big welcome. So I'm in uh, the construction industry side of Caterpillar. Um, So I have basically anything on track. (laughs) Now, because I am construction industries, um, I don't do as much with the expanded mining equipment. So the big rope shovels, um, hydraulic hydraulic shovels. Um, And, you know, some of the construction customers do have 10s and 11s. But um, I no longer, you know, cover 10s and 11s like I used to. I used to have the entire product line um, on track. But uh, with the change in Caterpillar and our reorganization a few years ago, they moved me over to construction industry. So now I don't get to play with the big toys. I work with all the dinghies now. Okay. Well, awesome. I appreciate you taking time to be on the show. It's great to have someone super knowledgeable like yourself to uh, talk undercarriage. I think it's a rather underserved and misunderstood topic. And I think a lot of people don't pay attention to it. And it's important in, in, in terms of ownership in, in any track type tractor, it's an important component. So hopefully our conversation can uh, do it just and provide some insight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. But I'm really curious about yourself. How did you get started in this industry and, and with Caterpillar, for that matter? Where did your career start, and how did you get into um, the role you are now with um, with Caterpillar? Well, I started my career in 1990 um, at the tech center in Mossville, Illinois, um, where I was doing destructive testing when I first started off, and then I moved into doing failure analysis on drivetrain and undercarriage components. And that eventually led to understanding wear patterns. So I spent a lot of time pulling samples out of different applications around the world and uh, taking a look at those wear surfaces in the electron microscope, trying to understand exactly how our steel was wearing and how we could change our heat treat process and machining process and different manufacturing processes to further improve the wear life of our components. Um, through, like I said, sometimes it was even adding coating to components to further improve the life of those components. From there, I went to field testing, and I field followed a whole bunch of uh, new undercarriage ideas uh, with customers, uh, mostly in North America, but some around the world, and um, would go out on a regular basis and uh, measure those undercarriages, sometimes take them off the machine, take a look at their oil levels, um, and do a full analysis on them. Uh, once I moved from there in 2002, I believe it was, I moved into product support. And I've been on the product support side 
um, since 2002. It's been a it's been a great career with Caterpillar. And like I said, only three years of my career did I move away from undercarriage. Um, and that's where I worked in um, warranty for Caterpillar. So I was processing warranty claims. Did you grow up around equipment? Was there kind of in the family and in the blood a little bit? And that's how you got into you know, your role with, with Cat? Well, I grew up in a farming community just outside of Peoria. So I was always in the shadow of, of Caterpillar and uh, um, always loved Caterpillar equipment. And as a young guy, I uh, always dreamed of going to work for Caterpillar. So when the opportunity arose, I, I jumped on the opportunity. Um, and uh, like I said, 33 years later, it's amazing um, how fast this went by, but it's been a really good company to work for. That's fantastic. 33 years. That's a, that's a commitment. That's a career. That's uh that's admirable. I, I appreciate that. And so you're looking after undercarriage for everything worldwide for dozers from D one all the way up to D 11. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. That customer base that I'm working with, again, the construction industry's customers, um, if they own a track type piece of equipment, whether it's rubber or steel track, then that falls into my responsibility. Um, I'm also responsible for training dealers worldwide. So talking to them about the different product offerings that Caterpillar has, um, what's the best applications for those, how to measure and manage the undercarriage, how to select the proper machine setup to get the maximum life out of undercarriage. That all falls into my responsibility. So there's a lot of products from Cat, like like we're talking all the way from D1 all the way up to D11s. And one could say yeah. that the under one undercarriage doesn't fit to all tractors. It's there's not one size fits all. So what kind of options are out there for undercarriage, specifically around dozers? Well, you know, you're absolutely correct. Um, it used to be that uh, Caterpillar offered one undercarriage and we put it into multiple, multiple applications. And uh, many years ago, uh, we decided that wasn't the best approach to get the customers low Estonian operating costs. So now, Many of our lines of track type tractors have three product offerings that they can choose from. So, for instance, if we start uh, at the D11 and work our way down, the large tractors, the D9, 10, and 11, have uh, a general duty offering. And we have a heavy duty offering, which is for those true high impact applications where the undercarriage life is quite long. Because you're not circulating material through that undercarriage, we get very long link roller life. And then we have HDXL, um, which brings into play a curved link. So instead of the rail surface being flat, the rail surface is actually curved. And that puts the material in the center of the link right where it needs to be to improve the undercarriage life. So that undercarriage is aimed at those applications that are a bit more abrasive and um, need that additional link life, roller life, bushing life in order to get, uh, you know, the number of hours needed and get those only operating costs down. Um, when you get down into the medium track type tractors, so when we talk about the, the D5 through the D8, um, you, uh, I should say the D4 through the D8, um, we offer three lines of undercarriage there as well. Um, for the, the um, B4 through the D6, uh, we offer general duty line of undercarriage. We have a um, heavy duty XL line of undercarriage. And then, of course, we have cat abrasion, 
which again is for those really high abrasion applications where um, normal undercarriage only gets two to 3,000 hours of undercarriage life, cat abrasion will, will move those hours up substantially. On the D7 and D8, we have general duty as well. We have a heavy duty offering. And then on those, we have a heavy duty XL offering, again, for those applications that are, that are higher in abrasion. We just completed our product offering. We just added in a general duty line of undercarriage for D1 through D3s. And um, that they also have um, a general duty line, a heavy duty line, and then they have cat abrasion as well. Um, so where most of those machines go, um, if you look at the southeast of North America, um, those machines do run in higher um, abrasion applications. So in that case, cat abrasion is quite popular for those machines in Florida, South Carolina, Michigan up there in their coastline where they're in a lot of uh, sharp angular sand. Again, that, that undercarriage really helps those customers get longer life. You talked about utilization, and that's kind of one of the, the pieces to selecting the right undercarriage. What, what are those certain, like, I guess, checkboxes, if you will, for picking the right undercarriage? If a customer had a 10 or an 8, and it was in this application, it was specced this way, and it was utilized this much, is that sort of the, the criteria to say, okay, you need a cat abrasion, HDXL, general duty? Yeah, and that's some of the basic um, criteria for selecting that undercarriage. The next criteria really comes down to that application and what they're wanting that machine to do. So um, not only is it selecting the right line of undercarriage, but then it's selecting the right shoe type uh, to match up with that undercarriage. Um, you know, whether it's extreme service shoes, in some of the cases on the models you were talking about, we have super extreme service shoes. Um, you have to walk through and determine your, your shoe width, your shoe type, um, you know, whether or not you need a, a center hole in that shoe to be able to flow the ground material through that link assembly so you don't get into high packing conditions. There's a lot of things to consider in order to match that undercarriage with all the customer needs and application needs. Absolutely. Rails, pads, it all, you know, if it's got extruding holes, I guess, for extruding material, like you mentioned, there's... There's a lot of different um, options, if you will, to, to customize right, right yeah, down the Yeah, and even the, even the roller combination. So when you get into the bogey-type undercarriages, D8s and above, um, you can configure the rollers differently, uh, mix and matching uh, single-flange and double-flange rollers to maximize life. So, for instance, with our HDXL line of undercarriages for those larger machines, we suggest to run all single-flange rollers. Single flange rollers are bigger in diameter than double flange rollers, which gives you a longer length roller life. Because we have that bogey system, most applications don't need that additional guiding of a double flange roller. And of course, that inner flange of that double flange roller starts hitting the bushing at 80 to 90% worn, especially with HDXL with the bigger diameter bushing. So by running all single flange rollers, one that allows you to move them around, help manage that undercarriage, but really it allows you to run that undercarriage out beyond 100% worn and more without getting any ride vibration issues um, with the machine. You talk about wear and, and worn being over 100%, and that's something that I, I haven't wrapped my head around fully yet. 
Um, cause I think hundred percent worn, okay, it's time to change the, the component out or whatever it may be, but could you explain that a bit? You talked about going 110%, 120% worn, but the component is still giving, have, has life left in it. Yeah, absolutely. When we design, when we design CAD undercarriage, we're always looking at beyond a hundred percent. So again, your link roller system is the most expensive parts of those undercarriage. So our idea at Caterpillar when we design a system is maximize the amount of hours or miles that you can get out of that link roller system. So many times, if the application allows it, 100% worn denotes that it's time to start looking for a replacement undercarriage. However, the usable life in many applications can go out to 120% worn and that's really where our outer roller flanges are in full contact with um, um, the like uh, the pin and bushing bosses, the link boss, um, where the pin, pin presses into. You start contact at 100% link roller system, and then um, that contact will continue through 120%. At 120%, and there are some customers that run our undercarriage beyond that, but 120% is definitely time to change out the undercarriage. <laughs> uh, you've gotten everything out of it you can get. Um, the roller bolts, bolts will start being exposed um, within the roller tread. Um, you know, you've gotten everything you you can get out of that. But our undercarriage is designed to run beyond that 100% point if the customer and the application want to run it that far. In, in the overall ownership of a track type tractor, where does undercarriage fit into that in terms of cost? Is it? Well, if uh, the average owning and operating, or I should say the average uh, service cost of undercarriage on a track type machine is about 50%. So out of all the parts and service that you're going to spend on that machine, about 50% of it's going to be on undercarriage. And of course, that's if you're well managed, or if that undercarriage is being well managed, it's 50%. Um, you know, so if the customers aren't paying attention to track tension, loose bolts, um, you know, broken shoes, bent shoes, um, those costs can, can go up, um, quite rapidly. Um, track tension is the number one thing that customers need to be taking a look at and managing to get that maximum life out of the undercarriage. And it's unfortunate when I go out in the field. I find many machines are a high percentage of machines where the tracks are running too tight. A lot of the operators prefer the tracks to run a little tighter because it takes vibration out of the machine, especially when you're shifting from forward to reverse. Um, you don't get as much track movement um, in front of and uh, behind the carrier roller, which again, takes some of that vibration out of the machine. And so a lot of, a lot of operators will prefer to run a track a little tighter. But one of the biggest reasons we find that track tension gets too tight is that the customer will set track tension before it gets into the application. One of our recommendations is, is always get into the application, run the machine about an hour, and then set your track tension. Because that way the components will have the packing in them by then, and you can properly set that track tension for the application. Now, if you have a rainstorm or a water truck operator that's doing a really, really good job, obviously you can get uh, you can get some additional packing in the undercarriage, and again, that needs to be reevaluated too. Um, one of the things that I always suggest to customers, especially with the elevated track type machines, um, I always ask them to weld a P 
piece of uh, rebar on the side of the machine frame. That way, when the operator walks up to that machine, he can compare the position of that rebar to the position of the link rail as he's coming up to that machine. And he can see if that track is too tight or too loose by where that link is opposed to that uh, grouser or the uh, rebar. It's a real quick, dirty way for that operator to know whether or not those tracks need to be adjusted. Instead of getting out a, you know, a string and a ruler and the, or a tape measure, that takes a lot of time. But if you put a visual indicator in there where everybody can see it, um, they tend to pay a lot more attention to it. That's a really interesting idea. That's part of the pre-op, I guess, before that's not something I can say I've seen ever. On uh, Maybe I haven't been paying attention to pieces of rebar welded on the sides of uh, dozers, but very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, like I said, a great visual way to determine quickly that those tracks are set properly or not. And then anybody, you know, if a job foreman is driving around uh, the job site and that machine is working, they can look over at that machine. Um, if you paint that piece of rebar orange, uh, use some orange spray paint or something like that, it's very visible. And again, that allows anybody in and around those machines to be able to compare and say, that tractor at lunch or at the next refueling, we need to adjust its track. And it's an important piece, like you mentioned, up to 50% of the cost of the machine is right in undercarriage. So having those yeah. those visual indicators and, and monitoring that you know, through the operator, through field management, whoever it is, the mechanics, to catch that before it wears out can ob- obviously make a big difference to the bottom line for the customer. So. It really does. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about undercarriage in terms of hours. And, you know, and we do that, too, within Caterpillar. But, you know, undercarriage really doesn't wear by the hour because you obviously have that machine. It's sitting there idling sometimes. Um, so you, we're really concerned about the miles or kilometers that that undercarriage is covering. So again, optimizing the productivity of that machine, making sure when it's moving, it's working. Um, you know, trying to limit the amount of unproduction, unproductive movements that it's seen all are another good way to save money and extend the life of that undercarriage. So we touched on a, quite a few of the different product offerings, HDXL, general duty, catabrasion. There's, there's quite a few within that, within the scope of D1 to D11. CAT's probably one of the few OEMs that invests a lot in research and development and developing a product that's going to work for the customer, work for a certain application, work for a certain machine. So what, what goes into that sort of research and development process? Is there field testing? Is there field follow? Is this something that the engineering team comes together and builds and then they send it to like Tanaha Hills and they see how it does or do they send it out in the field like what's all involved in the research process the design and actually implementing that and getting feedback on an undercarriage product yeah that's a great question and it, it really depends on where in the um, process the idea is so sometimes if we're coming you know looking at a new heat treat process or new material um, you know or a different type of coating we may start at our tech center and we have some um, um, accelerated tests at our tech center where we can test um, end grooving on the end of the bushings or test steel wear. We can uh, test that material, new steel, new heat treat process and see how it wears in a lot in a bench top before we actually produce links in that material. 
Um, if it's a higher risk idea, a lot of times we'll go to um, one of our proving grounds, um, typically the Peoria proving grounds. We'll put it on the machine and we'll evaluate it in the dirt. So we'll get operator feedback on ride and performance um, and some initial feedback on how that undercarriage is working. Um, we'll be able to keep the oil in the track joints, uh, things like that. After that, once it's kind of gone through those two areas, that concept then may move to field testing. And that's when we'll go out in the world and we'll find customers interested in running some of these concepts so that we can get real, uh, real world feedback on how that new design is working. Um, again, we talk to the operators, we talk to the customers, we're out there measuring and managing that undercarriage with our dealers. So that helps us then start to also uh, get customer input, get real real world uh, wear life out of the undercarriages so that when we go to production, if we decide to go that direction, we already have voice of customer, voice of dealer. We know how much longer that undercarriage is going to last in multiple applications. And that allows us to help guide then our dealers through our dealer training on how to choose the best undercarriage for that customer. So it gives us real data on our machines in customer applications, and there's nothing better than that. I've always found it really interesting how CAT spends so much time and, and money and resources to create a product for such a, a niche application, say like coal mines or hard rock or some sort of other application that isn't, you know, that other OEMs or manufacturers aren't focusing on it's like hey here's our undercarriage but cat's like hey we've got this for this application we've got this you can do different shoe wits you can do different rails for this different rollers for this whatever it may be i found that really neat and i think cat's one of the only ones that does such a, a good job at getting undercarriage right really so. yeah and it's interesting you brought that up um even hdxl for the large tractors it was first developed for a customer in the powder river basin who was having link scallop issues on their D11s. And uh, because of the steep slopes that we were running on um, with our D11, we were getting some severe scalloping in the middle of the link. And that scallop would lead them to remove the undercarriage well before 100% worn because the operator, um, you know, would not be able to stand the vibration in the seat. So we developed HDXL and the idea specifically for that customer, and we tested it there. And um, as well as at our proving grounds, and it worked so well that we took that across our product line, and now it's available worldwide. So you're absolutely right. We, you know, as I and my um, coworkers are out there with customers, whether it's an engineering person or a product support person like myself, we're constantly looking for ways that we can help the customers out. And a lot of the new product offerings that we have are the results of doing that. What was the main? What were the main changes on HDXL compared to the other uh, undercarriages for D11s? Because I thought Cat had it had it right with the previous iterations of that, and it was doing a, a darn good job compared for for customers and compared to uh, other OEMs. But what has changed with HDXL? What's new? So the the um, the biggest change with HDXL are several things. Um, first of all, uh, you know, a track type tractor. Um, there's a fight that happens between the idler and the link. And that fight is that the idler wants to make the link round and the link wants to make the idler flat. <laughs> and because there's that constant fight going on, um, 
we get a scallop in the center of that link, which creates vibration. Now, our bogey system on the large track type tractors, because of the rubber pads that are in the bogey system, we can reduce how much that operator is feeling that vibration. However, when that scallop starts in the center of the link, that's reducing overall wear life. So our concept with HDXL was not just to make the link taller. If you make the link taller, you actually can introduce more scalloping from the rollers and the idlers because as that link gets taller, in order for those links to be able to bend around the idler, that area of the link that's only half as wide where the two links meet up with each other has to get longer or the link assembly can't bend. Well, if you make that area longer, now you've got rollers contacting a link that's only half as wide. And so not only are you getting the center scallop from the idlers, you're getting a, a scallop from the rollers as well. So a lot of our competitors, and even Caterpillar's done this in the past, we made the link tall. Well, that wasn't necessarily better for the customer. And unfortunately, those customers then, because of the, the scalloping, couldn't get full wear life out of all that material we added. So our concept was, is well, let's put the material where it needs to be on that link. And that's the center of that link where that link is interacting with those idlers. And that's exactly what HDXL does, is it starts out with a curved link. And, you know, on a D11, that center scallop is nine millimeters taller, um, or I'm sorry, six millimeters taller than the end of the link. So it's actually curved three millimeters from the front to the back of the link. In doing that, then that puts the material where it needs to be. We have a, sort of an anti-scallop. And even though that link is curved that much, um, that six millimeters, um, the operator doesn't feel it because of our bogey system. So we're able to do that and make our link curve for those large trackside tractors because we have the bogey system. Now, obviously, we added anywhere from 20 to 40% more link life to the system. So we had to get more bushing life. So our bushing got bigger in diameter as well. Now that we have a bigger bushing and bigger length, the link roller system is going to run longer, which means we got to keep the oil in the joint for a longer period of time. So we actually introduced coatings on the end of the bushing for the seals that are run up against, and those coatings reduce or eliminate end grooving on the end of that bushing, allow us to run that entire undercarriage further, and get the maximum wear life out of that link roller system. What about the O-rings and retaining the oil? I thought something changed with, with those too, internally. Well, that's one of our biggest areas of research at Caterpillar. So you're going back to your research comment. We spend more of our undercarriage research dollars on that um, seal and seal face than we do in any other part of the undercarriage. Um, yes, absolutely. If you're going to stretch out, even with our you know super smooth coatings on the end of the bushing, if you're going to stretch out that wear life, that seal has to change as well. Now, there's a careful balance of changing that seal. And a lot of people think, well, we'll just make the seal harder. Well, that's okay, um, even if you have coatings, but that harder seal is going to be harder on the end of that bushing. So you got to be careful on how hard you make that seal. It's a whole lot easier to make the seal harder than add coating. That may add a little bit of wear life, but in certain applications, it's going to add more end grooving on the end of the bushing and end up not giving you any more seal life than you had before. So it's a balance 
and we're constantly working on that balance. Our coatings are ceramic-based coatings, so they're super hard and they're super resistant to wear. Um, that allows us to put a seal up against it that'll then have a great wear life and also resist those fine particles that are getting in there and allow that seal to get the, the long lip life that we need it to have. In terms of lifespan, where does HGXL fall on the chart compared to other cat undercarriages for the same size tractor and competitors? So when you look at um, HDXL, and again, we'll go back to the D10 or D11, that HDXL will get in the range of 20 to 40% more life than our heavy-duty offerings. Um, and that's from a link roller standpoint. Um, you know, you set up the machine right, and um, you, you get proper balance on that machine. Um, you do all the things, all the other setup things right. You'll be on the upper end of, of that pretty easily. Um, and again, because of the bigger diameter bushing, that allows us to run longer um, without doing a maintenance. And that's where those cost savings come in. So over our standard heavy-duty undercarriage, you can expect 20 to 40% more life out of HDXL for only about 5% more cost. Wow. That's, I find that so interesting. A product right from the powder, designed specifically for the Powder River Basin, a customer is now being used on a global scale to help other customers solve issues of extending, life, extending lifespan, saving money, whatever it may be, less touch points for mechanics, less downtime for equipment, you know, getting more work done, whatever it may be. There's tons of different factors in there that are positively effective. I would, I would say. Yeah. And the, you know, the research and development doesn't stop there. So even though we have a great product line right now and it's working really well in the field, um, you know, that doesn't stop us. We're still, filing patents on new designs and we're still um in fact uh, i saw just the other day three more patents were granted from uh, the u.s patent department on undercarriage so even after well over 110 years of undercarriage on track type tractors we're still finding ways to uh, develop new things and new designs and um, again improve approve those lives in the in the different applications around the world so more new things to come from caterpillar um, we haven't stopped developing the new things that will help customers. It's exciting stuff. And I think, I, like I said at the beginning, it's a it's a part of the machine that I don't think a lot of people appreciate or understand. They think it's just, you know, track pads and rails and rollers and idlers, whatever, and then sprockets and that's it. And you just kind of throw it on and it, when it wears out, you change it. But there's so much research and so many components and so many factors into selecting the right undercarriage, the right shoe width. You know, when do we change it out? How long can we run it? Um, I, I think it's really fascinating, but maybe it's because I have a bias towards heavy equipment already. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I sat down, it's been a while ago now and I, I, I worked with, uh, sat down with engineering and worked myself to determine all of the different things that will affect the life of the undercarriage. And believe it or not, we came up with 131 different things that can affect how that undercarriage is going to work and where. And um, it was pretty amazing to sit there and look through all those things and say, wow, undercarriage and the life of it and managing the life of it is a really complicated thing. And, um, you know, and that that changes our training that we are doing with our dealers to help them understand all of the things they need to be considering when they're consulting with those customers. And when there is a problem, what do you do? You know, what are your options to get more life? 
um, you know, from the machine itself, machine balance, um, you know, either ride heights, things like that. Um, what else can be done to, um, you know, gain more life out of it? And again, these are all things that Caterpillar understands really well because we also design that machine. So a lot of our competitors don't understand those machine dynamics like Caterpillar does. So, you know, um, there's, there's obviously undercarriage competitors out there in the world um, that have been out there for a long time, but they don't have the insights and the data that we have on our machines. And again, the amount of data that we're getting off machines these days is phenomenal to help us determine what needs to change on undercarriage uh, to get us more life. So speed data, idle time data, fuel burn, um, all of that is now being taken into um, consideration as we look at those next generations of undercarriage. Of those 130-odd reasons for undercarriage wear, what would you say are the top few handful of, of reasons that cause significant or notable wear on undercarriage? So number one, um, track tension. That's the first and foremost. Make sure you maintain proper track tension and, um, and uh, over the life of the undercarriage. Number two is speed. Um, control the amount of speed. Everybody, um, you know, as you're moving from one point to the other, the job site, you want to do it quickly. Obviously, that machine's there to produce and to move dirt. So, you know, they want to be able to get from one point to the other quickly, so they do it in a higher gear. If you're going to move the machine, do it in forward. Don't do it in reverse, because obviously with fixed bushing tracks, um, that's going to be harder on that bushing, and you're going to get more wear. Uh, packing. Keep it clean. One of the things that we see over and over again is you get into muddy conditions, the roller frame packs up, and all of a sudden those links are dragging through that mud on the top of the roller frame. Eventually that mud dries out, and all of a sudden it'd be the same as taking that link assembly off, hooking it up behind your pickup truck and dragging it down the road um, <laughs> all day long. So again, keeping that material away from those links and allowing those links to drag through that material is very important to the overall undercarriage life. So keep it clean. Finally is the maintenance. Um, the overall maintenance of it is take a look at if you're missing roller bolts, idler bolts, um, track shoe bolts, if there's loose or bent shoes, um, make sure that you're, you're looking at it on a regular basis to make sure that something simple is not costing you large sums of money over the life of that undercarriage. Um, lastly is pick the right undercarriage for the application. And I'm not just talking about our lines of undercarriage. I'm talking about everything from your roller setup to your shoe setup. Um, all of those things play a big factor in determining how that undercarriage is going to run and what the overall life is going to be. So if you keep those top things in mind, that's going to get you the best performance. Absolutely. I love your point about picking the right undercarriage. I think a lot of, you know, not, not to paint with too wide of a brush, but a lot of people and, and contractors just pick a machine and they get it from the auction or they get it used or whatever. And it says, Oh, straight to work. It's like, well, do we even think yep. about the undercarriage and where it's going and what environments it in and how we can best maintain it? Yeah. And the best thing to do is, you know, talk to your cat dealer and um, you know, if you buy a machine at an auction and it's got an undercarriage on it, that's still in good shape. Talk to your, your cat dealer and have them take a look at it, and, um, you know, and, and help you manage it throughout the, re the remaining part of its life so that even if it is 
the incorrect undercarriage or maybe the incorrect shoe width for your application, at least you can get the most out of it. And then when you replace it, you put the right one on there for, for that particular area. There's one piece I'm really interested in there. You mentioned about high speed reverse being a very high wear um, movement. Why is that so? What What is causing wear in high speed reverse? So it all comes down to the design of the link assembly. So when you're in forward, um, as that bushing interacts with that sprocket segment, you need three things to have wear. You got to have load, contact, and relative motion. In forward, we have load and contact, but there's no relative motion between the bushing and the sprocket segment because the pin is rotating inside the bushing in order for that track to bend. You have oil between the pin and the bushing, so therefore you're not getting any track wear. Now when you put that put that tractor in reverse and that bushing comes in first to the, the sprocket segment, that bushing comes in and it actually has to rotate downward in the sprocket segment in order for the next section of track to come in. It is that movement between that bushing and sprocket that causes bushing wear. And that's why your reverse drive side of your bushing is always going to be much more worn than your forward side. Your forward side wearing because of indention wear, which is your least um, aggressive wear type out of the three different wear types. In reverse, not only do you have the material between the sprocket and the bushing, you have that bushing sliding as that link assembly interact or as that bushing interacts with the sprocket segment. And that sliding being added in is why that bushing is going to wear so much. Fascinating. Who would have thought? I, I would have never would have never uh, expected that. That's interesting. We have a great simulator called Works and Wears that uh, we can show, and um, we you know we we give our dealers to put on their laptop um, to be able to show um, how that interaction works in forward and reverse. It's pretty interesting to see how that works. Yeah, that is. Is the spec of the the tractor, does that affect where, say, a larger blade, uh, weighted versus unweighted ripper, stuff like that? Does that affect undercarriage wear as well? Oh, yeah. Um, so one of our things, I you know, I've covered GEP for a few years as well, and I got a lot of friends in the GEP side of our business. And one of the things that, you know, everybody likes to do is protect that blade, protect that ripper with more iron. And, uh, you know, whether you're hanging uh, mop plates on the blade arm or you're putting additional liners in that blade, all of that adds weight to the front of the machine. That weight to the front of the machine affects that machine's balance. As you rotate that machine or as that front gets heavier, the front of that machine gets heavier and you're riding more and more on that front idler. That riding on the front idler, that's not that idler's job. That idler's job is not to push that grouser in the ground. That idler's job is to simply turn the direction of the track. That first roller's job is to put the grouser in the ground. If you have too much weight on that blade, that turns that idler into an interaction like a roller has. Now that idler is forcing that grouser in the ground, and it increases the wear rate. Wow. So be cautious of how much GET or what size of blade you're putting on machine and weighting rippers and more GET on rippers, larger shanks, stuff like that. That's really interesting. Well, the, the biggest thing is is the consideration. If you're going to put GET on the front end or if you're going to put a thicker liner on the blade, 
make sure you think about the machine balance. Um, it's great. It's okay to do that as long as you make up for it in the rear of the machine. So you could add, you know, counterweight to the ripper beam. Um, you can add counterweight on the tail of the machine. Again, your cat dealer can come out, show you how to determine the balance of your machine after the work is done and determine if you need more weight in the front or, the, you know, the back of that machine to counteract what you've done in the front. Um, that'll save you undercarriage costs by, by determining the balance of the machine. Takes just a few minutes to do it, and it's worth thousands in the life of that machine to get that right. Fascinating. I'm very curious from your experience over the course of your career, 33 years now, what have you seen be the toughest application for undercarriage, the highest wear, and like what kind of hours were we getting out of undercarriage there? And then what has been the longest lasting or the easiest, I guess, application where you've seen undercarriage go for all the way to 120% and you're like, wow, this has lasted a long time. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting question. So the highest wear um, comes from those companies that are running on our beaches and beaches around the world. Um, and uh, so people are doing beach restoration, dredging type applications where they're using the track type tractors um, to push around the sand that's coming out of the dredge pipe. Um, that sharp angular sand that's being dredged up from the bottom of the ocean or moved back up, um, you know, and in areas like Florida, South Carolina, the east coast of Georgia, um, all of those areas have a very sharp, angular, high hardness sand. And that sharp, angular particles um, do some real damage on undercarriage. And we can see undercarriage life on traditional undercarriage drop below 2,000 hours. And to the point where bushing turns are having to be done on some of those machines in under a thousand hours um, in order to get the maximum of that link roller life. But that's where cat abrasion comes in is for those applications. The bushings uh, rotate and therefore we don't do not get the bushing wear. Um, we take the idlers off of contact and the link. So the um, idlers actually contact the rotating bushing and that gains us that life back in those high abrasion applications. The other side of the spectrum, um, think about um, hard rock mining. So when you're in copper mining, gold mining, diamond mining, where those rocks are really hard um, and the size of those rocks are such that they can't um, circulate through the undercarriage system, that's where you're going to get the longest undercarriage life. And you could get into, you know, 14,000, 17,000 undercarriage hours because you don't have the circulation of material through the undercarriage. Now, the difference is your link roller system lasts a really long time there, but your shoes may drop, you know, way down in life. You know, you may get less than 3,000 hours out of a set of shoes, but your link roller system is going to go, you know, like I said, 14,000, 17,000 hours. So the maintenance point for that customer is going to be shoes and not link roller system. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, when I was talking about high abrasion, shoes will last two or three sets of link assembly, but that link roller system is going to be trashed out really fast. So again, anything you think about undercarriage, GET is probably opposite. So if it's a high abrasion application on undercarriage, GET is going to live, bucket GET is going to live a long time there. You go to the other end of it where undercarriage is lasting a really long time, GET life is going to be pretty short. That's a really interesting point. Would you would you consider the oil sands part of a beach application? 
because <laughs> it's it's sand. It's just got oil in it. So <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really unique beach. But um, yes, that is one of our most challenging areas um, uh, by far to get undercarriage the last in. Um, the number of machines that are up there running in that application. Um, over the years, we've designed quite a few different undercarriage systems specifically for the oil sand um, in order to get uh, more life out of the undercarriage for all those customers out there. Um, you know, HDXL, we have a couple versions of HDXL that are specifically made for the oil sand. Um, oh, wow. You know, uh, Again, to balance that undercarriage life out, um, you know, so a lot of times they, they may not be able to use the taller length, but they can use that bigger diameter bushing. Um, so we mix and match components and we have part numbers available for the oil fans customers that, you know, are, are available for the rest of the world, but are not necessarily used there because of how unique that application is. No doubt. Is it, you, you talked about track pads wearing out and shoes, sorry, but wearing out before rollers or, or links and, and, and bushings. Um, is it when you're, when you're replacing undercarriage, is it important to match all the components? So we want to have equally worn rails with equally worn rollers with track pads and sprockets. Is that an important part of, of, I guess, rebuilding undercarriage after it's time for service? It really is. I mean, obviously our goal in designing an undercarriage is to get everything to wear out at the same time. Obviously with the different applications that we were highlighting there, that doesn't always happen. However, you know, when it comes to shoes and even the undercarriage systems, that's why we have so many choices. So for instance, for a, you know, a, um, a D11, let's go back to D10 and D11. We have an extreme service shoe. We have a, um, a super extreme service shoe and we have a, you know, a moderate service shoe as well, um, in order to help balance that shoe width. You know, each time you go up from moderate service to extreme service to super extreme service, that grouser gets significantly taller and significantly wider. Now, the balance of that going back to those 131 factors, if that grouser is taller and that grouser is wider, harder to get it into the ground. So choosing an SES shoe for your application may go against you if that operator can't get traction. And so then, you know, if you want to run the wider shoe to get or um, the uh, stream service shoe or super stream service shoe to get more wear life, you might have to go to a little bit wider shoe so you're not getting as much track spin. And um, so you can cut down on your, your percent spin or your spent percent traction loss. So again, that's why it's so important. We have so many different shoe options. A D6, for instance, we have 116 different shoe options <laughs> on a standard D6. And that's down from 160 that it used to be just a few years ago. We've cut out some. But, you know, when you look at it, the 116 shoe option, there's a reason for that. And that reason is, is we're trying to match that shoe and shoe life to the application, whether it's traction, um, gradeability, flotation, all of those things come into play to choose that best shoe. Wow. That's amazing. How, how is undercarriage wear measured? Is it visual? Is it some, like a cat dealer would come out and measure it or something that customers do? How do, how do you actually do that? So we have um, what's called CTS Pro. So it's custom track service. 
it's where our dealers and um, it goes into a huge database. So I'm sitting here right now and there's a screen up on my computer where I'm watching CTS inspections take place worldwide. So I actually see little dots showing up each day on the map and I'm seeing where dealers are out there measuring customers' machines. But they go out there and um, it's a mix of manual tools and ultrasonic tools. And um, they have their cell phone or an iPad, and that uh, that ultrasonic device is Bluetooth to their iPad. They'll go around and measure all those components. Um, as soon as they're measuring, it's showing up a wear life or a percent worn on that component. At which time, when they're all done, they can they can uh, output a report to that customer that shows them exactly where they're at in their undercarriage life and how much life is yet remaining. Um, that data then is being transitioned to Caterpillar. Like I said, we can see that data live, which also goes into some of our engineering decisions. So we can take a look at any geographic location in the world, and we can take a look at what our wear life is there. Um, you know, within a 50-mile radius of an inspection, we can get a pretty good idea of what that wear life is going to be. And then it also gives us an idea of the, because you can go on the internet, you can get an idea of the geological samples that have been taken in that area. So you know what it's running in, how much rainfall they've gotten in the last year. And then of course, what they're, you know, what type of soil they're running in. And that can help us design the next undercarriage. That's amazing. When I say cat gets undercarriage, right? I mean, there's the data to back it up. You guys are getting really, really granular on applications, weather, geology, you know, hours and, and measuring where at, I think that's really, really fascinating personally. And uh, I think that's obviously why you have so many product lines within um, within the range from D1 all the way up to the D11. So, Yeah, something that's pretty cool is um, so far this year, or this year we will surpass 130,000 CTS inspections worldwide. Wow. So there's been 130,000 undercarriages measured worldwide in which we're taking that data in and again, that helps us determine what we need to do next to help our customers. No way. When they're when I'm actually curious when they're measuring the undercarriage, is it I've seen them use is it ultrasound before, or is it all the the cat tool now? It's like a ruler with some um, uh, some pins that move, and you can measure things to a to a to the book essentially. It's a mix. Um, so you know, a lot of the components can be measured with that ultrasonic, and that's what Bluetooth into the phone or into the iPad. Um, the ultrasonic can be used for length, pins, bushings, um, rollers, and some idlers. Um, we also have the manual tools to measure the sprocket segments. Uh, the manual tools can be used to measure, you know, all of the components. But your most accurate way is going to be to measure that component with the ultrasonic. And um, again, so we prefer dealers to use that ultrasonic. It gets us um, gets us uh, the measurement to the tenth of a, a decimal point, and then um, you know allows us to predict that wear life much better. Uh, the manual tools are great, and a lot of you know a lot of people out there still use manual tools. Um, but again, the accuracy comes from that ultrasonic. One question that I've I've asked and, and been asked a few times is top carrier rollers on large track type tractors, 10s and 11s. I've noticed some have them and some don't. And I wanted to get, you know, yep. someone like yourself to maybe if you can explain why those are there. And it, I've, I've been told it affects 
undercarriage life and wear, and it's meant for certain applications. Do you know anything about that? Could you expand on it? Yeah, I, I refer to it as the great carrier roller debate. Um, <laughs> we we debate that internally with Caterpillar and, uh, you know, externally uh, with our dealers and customers. And one of the things that I've done is I have some talking points. So basically the pros and cons of having a carrier roller. Um, and then allowing the customer to make that decision, especially on tracks like D8 through D11, where those carry rollers can be either removed or run. So let's start with some of the pros of having a carry roller. Number one, track helping with track tension. By having that carry roller there, you're supporting that section of track. You're supporting the weight of the track. So as it moves from the sprocket segment to that front idler, they give support of that track. Um, it takes out some of the track width um, as you're moving forward and as you go from forward to reverse. Um, the carry roller helps with packing. So as that link assembly comes over that sprocket segment and goes over that carry roller, that carry roller causes some vibration in the link assembly, which then will shake out some of that material before it goes back down under the machine. So it helps with that. Um, the carry roller is also much better on the bushing. Um, because you're pulling some weight off that bushing sprocket interaction, that's going to reduce your, um, your wear rate. But it also cuts back on the motion of that bushing as it enters the sprocket because that section of track is being supported. Um, so again, if your bushing life limited in your application, you want to run a carry roller because that's going to increase your bushing life. Um, if you have a high packing application, you're going to want to run that carry roller. If uh, the customer is not paying real close attention to track tension, you need to run a carry roller. Otherwise, if it gets too loose, you know, that track is dragging that top of the roller frame. The other thing it does is having that carry roller, obviously the packing that gets up there on the top of the roller frame, um, that carry roller can help that fall off or it can make it stay there more. So that's where we're going to transition into the con side of this, <laughs> is having a carry roller can help that roller frame pack up. So, you know, again, having that roller frame pack up, if you're not keeping it clean and clean it off at the end of each day, um, again, is just like I mentioned, is you take that link assembly off and drag it down the road. Um, so again, that can help more packing occur. Um, by not having that carry roller, um, you're also going to decrease your bushing life because you're going to get a lot more track width. So that bushing is going to have more movement as it enters the sprocket segment. Um, it can also cause more vibration in the machine not having that carry roller because of um, you're getting that track width. That operator is going to feel more vibration in that machine and tend to want to run the link assembly tighter to get rid of that vibration. So again, not having it there is, um, is, is going to be a, you know, a poor idea. But not having it there increases link life. So if you're link limited, um, link life limited, you don't have that contact point. Um, you know, you look at cat data and, you know, we, we say around 10% wear life reduction by having a carrier roller. Obviously, that varies a lot by applications and all that, but it's a good average. Um, your your maintenance costs are reduced. Obviously, you're not buying a carrier roller, and um, that carrier roller stand can cause 
um, issues with the roller frame itself, especially if that track um, has a lot of carryover on its shoes or the shoes are bringing a lot of material around with them. That section of link assembly gets quite heavy and that, that can, um, that weight on that carry roller and that carry roller stand can lead to cracking on the top of that roller frame. So again, there's a lot of things to think about on um, carrier or no carrier, but it's really good to sit down and go through the list of things and determine what's best for your application. Um, and again, a lot of it comes down to what's your life limiting component. Is it the link or is it the bushing? Um, what's your application packing condition? Um, you know, and again, that'll help you determine whether I keep or get rid of that carry roll. Most importantly, consider that track tension because again, that's the number one reason that undercarriage life goes down or that you may end up with dry joints is running those tracks too tight. That's fantastic. That's a very thorough ex- explanation. I appreciate that. That's uh, there's it. It goes to show there's so many factors that determine selection of undercarriage, different variations and different. Yeah, specs absolutely. So it's a it's a good way to it's a good note to finish off on. And Tim, I really want to say thank you for taking time to be on here. It's fantastic to have a, such a knowledgeable person like yourself come on and and talk undercarriage and give people some insight into how Cat designs it, different types, different applications, what causes where. And overall, just give people a bit more understanding and appreciation for it because it's, like you said, up to 50% of the ownership cost of a track-type tractor is undercarriage. So it's a huge piece that not a lot of people pay attention to. So, Well, thank you for the opportunity. I always love the opportunity to to talk more about undercarriage with whomever will listen. So thank you for the opportunity to do this, and I really appreciate it. If people had questions for you, what's the best way? Is it LinkedIn or, or reach out to? I am on LinkedIn, but, um, you know, we, we uh, encourage people to talk with their Caterpillar dealer. Uh, I work with every Caterpillar dealer worldwide. Many of our Caterpillar dealers also have undercarriage specialists on their team. Um, if the question needs to come to me, they absolutely will pick up the phone and email me and uh, get us all involved, whether it's myself or some of my coworkers that do the same thing. Um, again, we're happy to help in any way we can. That's, that's part of what you get when you purchase CAT undercarriage and CAT machines is you get that total support. So we're here to help. Fantastic. Well, there you have it, folks. Hopefully you learned something about undercarriage today and then hopefully got some insight into uh, uh, what it takes to uh, get the right uh, – on the right track, so to speak. So thank you again, Tim. Absolutely. uh, Until next time, we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thanks a ton, Mac. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays to you. You as well, Tim. You as well.